honestly, the thing that's rolling off my tongue is when things turn to sh**. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the Remind podcast. You are joining myself, Dr. Ashley Morland from the Remind Institute and David Masterton. Hey Dave, how are you today? Amazing, Ash. Um, I'm rocking the black beanie for those listening to the podcast um, in celebration for episode 13. No, 12. We're episode 12. Why am I thinking 13? Right. Um, I'm really good. I've noticed you've updated your your handle at remind.institute. I like it. Yeah. I like it. You'll, (laughs) You'll notice under mine, it's at accidental underscore ascension. It's a little uh, project that I'm kicking off um, alongside of what I'm doing here with the amazing Ash Morland. But today, we're talking about something that kind of brings together all the little foundation episodes that we've been leading up to when we're dealing with perfectionism, overthinking, setting boundaries, all of these kind of things. And that's going to be... How, How to be okay. okay when things turn to shit. <laughs> How to be okay when things around you aren't okay. Right? Well, easy... Dave. That's very PG. Yes. Well, I mean, um, I like to keep things PG. Actually, I don't. I'm actually quite a big swearer, but I keep it the filter on during these these podcasts. Good. But it's more, it's more about... Finding presence know. in the chaos. How yeah. do you be? How do you be at peace within yourself? How do you have inner peace when there's so much outer chaos? Do you well, that it's, it's, yeah, because I think it's easy for you and me when everything's fine around you. <laughs> Is it? No, no. I'm Is saying when. I'm when. I'm saying big, big caveat. When everything's fine and when you have nothing to worry about, it's actually really easy to be okay. But when you're not, yeah. we're talking about what you were just saying earlier. It's sort of like that unicorn moment. So um, how would you like to kick this one off? Because, you know, I, I guarantee we've got some stories that we can talk about. We've got some ideas we can talk about. Um, I'll leave it over to you. What do you reckon? I reckon we first explore what, how do you know you're not okay? Like, when there is chaos, mm. usually it feels like overwhelm. So how do you identify oh. for you when you're not okay and when there's Anxiety. so much going on around you? What's, yeah, but what does that mean? Well, it, it means mean it's – oh, for, for me, it's like something within me is it's either beating faster, it's not sitting right, like you've eaten something that hasn't – it's not too nice, so it sits bad in your stomach. It's just these – even that general sense of, oh, like a dread. Dread. And so when you're talking about those feelings and sensations, can you be more descriptive specifically in your body, what that feels like? It's hard to at the time. For me, hard to at the time. I can then take a moment because like the the dread, the anxiety, it just sort of hits you. Bang. Mm. Oh, I'm not okay. And then you start questioning yourself, should I be okay? Why am I not okay? And then the judgment. Well, you should be okay because you've dealt with things that are far worse. Oh, and- I hate that. Oh, you know, they've got it so much worse than me or it could be worse. It's like shaming the response that we're having to something that's very real for us and it dulls mm. it down and dumbs it down. It actually invalidates that. That's really riling me up. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel that inside me. I'm like, don't invalidate your experience through comparison because comparison is egoic. Mm. If you're feeling something, if you're experiencing something in your body, it is real, regardless of whether it's rational, regardless of whether it makes sense, regardless of what someone else has been experiencing. If it's happening in your body in that moment, it is as real as it gets. But you know what the funny thing that I find for myself, and I see it when other people talk to me about it, it's what if people think I'm overreacting? It's yeah. not that the fact that they feel that they're overreacting because you're exactly right, I'm feeling it. If I'm feeling it, 
it's there. It's sort of like the reason I stepped on a rock is because the rock's under my shoe. Don't don't question it. But what if I'm over-exaggerating on the fact that I've just stepped on a rock? Well, I know it's a very poor analogy, but that's that's generally it. So it's that, that, that fear or the shame or the... Isn't that interesting? Because I don't have that experience. For me, it's not about what if other people, and I, oh, this is going to be juicy because it's bringing out the nuances between how you experience this and how I experience this. So you, what I heard you say was that your what if is other people's opinions and judgments of how you're processing it. Whereas for me, it's not about other people. I think for me, because I have such a, high standard of myself and generally I have my stuff together <laughs> but mm. word is wanting to yeah, come yeah. out again I got my stuff together generally I'm generally regulated I'm generally pretty good but for me it's a self thing it's a self standard it's a self expectation like I shouldn't be feeling this so it's right. not about anyone else it's about I know better, so why am I feeling this way? And it's been a process for me to overcome that at a self level as opposed to worrying about what, whether anyone else thinks it's rational for me to be losing my mind. Mm. But let's let's go back to the unhealed, mm-hmm. Ashley, that was working through that. Um, and I, what was... I'm still unhealed, Ashley. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but let's just go consciousness, Ashley. Let's just go, you know, if you've watched Wayne's World, let's go back in time. <laughs> it's sort of like, did you ever get to the point where sort of like, is what's the normal reaction for this scenario? Mm, did, a little or, bit. But can I tell you something that I did experience was mm. when I had issues coming up repeatedly in my life say for instance with my ex-husband if Mm. we had issues that were repeatedly coming up in in our relationship and it was very much hot and cold like when things were good things were good but when things were bad things were really bad and when things were bad that's when I would reach out to my friends and so probably where that did show up a little bit is when there was chaos in the form of relational challenges I had no way to self-regulate, so I couldn't be present. And with that's myself. when your friends would so come over with the wine, would, and then they would, they I would, would co- always. I would seek yeah. to co-regulate, but over time, because the same issues were repeating and repeating and repeating, I kind of felt like I couldn't keep going to my friends about the same issues because they're kind of like this again. And they, they weren't saying that. It's not like they were saying that, but I isolated myself from going to them because I guess it brought up shame in me that, oh, we're in the same cycle again. We were just here a month ago and now I'm, and then we were really good and now we're in the same cycle again. So I guess, yeah, maybe that. It, sound, that it sounds, yeah, it absolutely sounds it like it's sort of, if we've got the problem once, great. If we talk about it twice, okay, that's okay. Three times, well, are we talking about it to fix it? Which I know it's not always the the aim mm. is to talk to fix. That comes from me who always wants to fix as opposed to talk about it. Then yes, then you've suddenly got to a normal, what's a normal response? You talk about it once or twice and then it's done. Yeah, you should be over it. It shouldn't be repeating itself. Otherwise, that so I definitely find that for myself, it's sort of like, okay, I'll give you a very big example. If you had said to me five years ago, I'm taking a mental health day. I would smile. But inside judgment, you need a mental health day? For what? Things aren't right, fix it. If you aren't coping, what is it that you're not coping with? Go and fix that. And so because to me, and I'll go back to what I call unhealed, and yes, I agree, we're both on a journey and I think we're going to end up in our graves 
unhealed, but you know, a lot better than we were before. Yes. But let's go. Let's go back to a whole lot less aware, a lot less conscious, that it was really about. Oh, this is a cop out. This is a something else because my thinking was, that's not normal. Yeah. Because it's an excuse, and so. Mm -hmm. And then I would surround myself with people that thought the same way. That happens just naturally, right? Because if someone sort of says, I take a mental health day every month because of whatever reason, because my mental health is really important. If, they, if I'd been around someone five years ago that had that mindset, I wouldn't really talk to them much because they're like, mm, we're probably not going to get along. Yeah. And so you end up saying to create an echo chamber and actually reinforcing what you believe is normal. So what I'm, I suppose a lot of talking here, but when you look at finding that sort of being okay when it's not okay, it's to sort of go, the feeling I have is here for a reason. It needs to, it needs to, it needs to come out, stop questioning it no matter what the people around you might think or even what you might think of yourself. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think something that really took me a long time to understand is even thinking back to the chaos, like I used my past relationship as an example, but chaos can be everywhere in life. Like if you are raising young kids, you know chaos. If you are working and trying to balance a full-time job, you know chaos. If you, basically, if you're living in 2023 and beyond, you know chaos. <laughs> our, our whole society is chaos. But our capacity to feel peace is dependent on us and our relationship with chaos. And it took me a really long time to understand that the chaos happens out there and peace happens in here and if i don't know I, gosh everything comes back to identity doesn't it and that where self begins and ends if i don't know where i begin and end the chaos bleeds into me we become one i become one with the chaos but i'm not chaos i'm well, separate when, from that chaos when were we ever taught that never right? it's, it's like at school we were never taught that you know we were taught about fun we were taught about happiness, we were taught about love, but we were only taught about love about what you do for other people to make mm. them feel that way. So, and that in itself is not a wrong statement, but isolated by itself can be very dangerous because yeah. it means that the only way you can receive love is, guess what, when someone's doing something for you. Mm -hmm. So it's highly conditional on everything being external. So it's it's about how do we, how do we teach that because otherwise we're told it's like if someone sort of said from a very young age you are responsible for your own happiness you will feel love it is not necessarily just an act of what someone does for you because then now we're going very transactional yeah absolutely and oh gosh it's very energetic isn't it <laughs> if we go on the flip side of what does um overwhelmed feel like what does presence feel like for you Oof. okay so let me set the stage for overwhelm and then i'll cycle back to what do, what does presence feel like for, for me because i can just i can describe overwhelm reasonably well i can't describe presence very well and i'm buying time as i'm talking <laughs> so um overwhelm for me is a lot of stimulus so, and that stimulus can be from the fact that there's things outside that need my attention or are buying for my attention, even though they don't need my attention. There's, mm -hmm. there's a, something external and it's then how am I processing it? Do I have enough capacity? If I've got hundred percent capacity and this only needs 5% of my time, everything's gravy, reverse it. Mm -hmm. If I've only got 5% capacity and what I need to do requires hundred percent, I'm steering at a very big gap and then that's when the nervous system goes, I'm in trouble. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm now dis dysregulated. 
and I'm not thinking clearly through it. So for me, overwhelm is about that. Then the physical symptoms come from it, the sinking of the stomach, the the, the the racing sort of chest, then the feeling of why do I want to go through all of this? Then it drags up anything that's in my backpack of things that I'm still dealing with overall in life, which is sort of like I might, while I accept these things, I still don't believe they're fair. Mm. And maybe even that, even, the, even that statement probably doesn't make sense because if I completely accept it, then it's it's always fair. And so that all then comes to the forefront. Now, peace means for me that, or um, yeah, that peace, none of that changes. All of that is there. It's not the removal of that stimulus. It's not the removal of the fact that I've got capacity or not. It's a simple fact that I understand I'm going through this process and I'll go one step at a time and I'm there because mm. I'm going to be learning something from this as much as I might feel as though at some points, because this is always sort of, for me, it's not a standard set emotion. It's not a standard set. I'm always going to feel at peace with it. I will sort of flow in and out of it, which is sort of goes, I feel, I understand I need to get this done. And then I'll sort of dip out of it and sort of go, but this is really quite tough. Okay, I understand, I accept my feelings and then I come back to it. But I yeah. will go one step at a time and this will not kill me. It will not feel nice, but I'll work through it. Yeah. And so for, for me, it's that really, it's centered, it's peace. It's just, but you, you don't just sit there and say, I will be peaceful. It's actually an outcome of everything I've done up until now, facing my fears facing the fact that I'd never wanted to be vulnerable, journaling, doing things that the five-year-old, you know, or a, a version of myself five years ago would simply shake his head at, right? Having to overcome all of those things has created this. I'm much calmer when I'm driving. So it's not, so the calm is not reliance on calm waters. External. I love that. Yeah, that's so important. Thanks for sharing all that. Great um, So for me, overwhelm is definitely something I notice in my body. So I feel like the physical sensations of overwhelm. And also in my behaviours. And one of the things that would really help this is to understand stress responses in our nervous system. So we've got fight, we've got flight, we've got freeze. But each of those stress responses have some characteristic behaviours that indicate that the nervous system is driving a survival instinct. So for me, when um, I notice that I'm getting super busy and I'm busy mm -hmm. in the kitchen and I'm busy here and I'm busy there and I just notice, 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 notice all the things that need my attention, i.e. need to be done, this has to be done, and then I've got to get that done. That's an indicator to me behaviorally that I'm in overwhelm and there's chaos in my world. Mm -hmm. um, and that's super common, I think, for ADHD, but it's a survival mechanism. Um, so that's probably overwhelm. And then this is so relevant to the concept of presence because presence requires very narrow focus of attention. And chaos is only happening, overwhelm is happening in a very broad sense for me. So when I'm overwhelmed, I'm thinking about what ifs or I'm what ifs as in in the future, trying to predict the future that I can't possibly know because it hasn't happened yet. Or I'm worrying about things from the past. But none of those things, the future or the past, are not in my now. Oh, it reminds me of um, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, right? Mm. And so peace comes for me when I take this, it's like a funnel. So what I imagine is that at the top of the funnel is all the mayhem and all the chaos and all the busyness. But if I funnel that down into this very moment, this moment, the future stuff that I'm worrying about doesn't exist in this moment. The past stuff that I'm freaking out about actually doesn't exist in this moment. It's all just a fragment of my imagination. It's in my mind. 
And so when I can be focused on this moment, I am, I think you used the word grounded. I, I would say centered. Mm-hmm. I feel completely safe. It's like my shoulders drop. My breathing is slower and it's deeper. My vocal qualities change. So my vocal qualities slow down. My um, physically, my tummy feels like softer, I guess, even internally. It's almost like my intestines. I can feel them going like this at the top of the funnel. But when I'm in the moment where there's no threat, I'm actually very safe. That feels so light and connected for me. Mm. And the difficulty for me, like if we're having, we we have a relationship because we relate with and to each other. When I'm very chaotic, do you feel seen and heard and important? When I'm really flighty and... <clears throat> Yeah, look, it really like, yes. And I suppose it's an interesting question because the answer is going to be no. Mm-hmm. However, that, that's when, when you have a relationship, there's understanding and that re, that sort of give and take, okay? Because if there's something where we're stressed because maybe we, you know, running late on episodes or we jump on to do an episode and we haven't sort of in, entirely decided what we're going to talk about, which then has knock-on effects when it comes to publishing them that I can relate to things differently to, to you. So it's sort of like there's that, um, that ability to have that compassion of it's okay. And so if you are flighty and if you are feeling that way, then yes, you, you can't be doing two things at once because you're, you're in that I, I'm focused on that chaos because that chaos is there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get rid of that discomfort. And... Um, and so I think that's super important that in any relationship you, you, you find that. But I want to circle back to, um, if you don't mind, unless did you have something else you wanted to follow on with that? All I wanted, the reason I asked the question about do you feel seen and heard and important is because connection to self and others requires presence. Mm. We cannot have a deep and close and intimate and safe connection with someone if we're not present. And so presence requires that real narrow attentional focus on this present moment. And for me, it's like that um, I could have so many things going on in my world, but when I snap out of the head, the busyness that's in my head, and my daughter might say, Mummy, I want you to snuggle with me. And it is so easy to miss that. It's so easy for me to miss it because... I'm so busy in my head that I can't be present with her in the moment. But in that moment, the stuff in the future that hasn't happened yet and the stuff from the past that I can't change anyway actually has to become irrelevant. The only way that my daughter can feel seen and heard and valued and important and connected to me is if I'm present with her, regardless of the chaos that's happening around us in that moment. And so it's almost like I imagine this this bubble that comes around us where I am 100% with her in mind, body, and spirit in that moment. And I, yeah, I guess I want I asked you that question because I wanted to know your experience of connection with others because we are connection is the fundamental basis of everything. It's well, why we you, you've, you've nailed it. So, um, let me share my connection with others up until about two years ago was very surface level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize it completely oblivious, completely blind to it because my idea of connection was being in the same room, doing things for them. It was all very transactional because everything for, for me was in the chaos. It's maintaining the chaos. Mm-hmm. My idea of a good day or doing a good job is not being present. It's just sort of fixing the chaos, right? So there was no real presence. There was no real connection. So um, the the mind itself, and when you sort of talk about this funnel that sort of comes down, as you come down, you're actually coming out of your mind because yeah. your, your mind is only here 
in reality to allow you to fully experience the moment. A bit like glasses, right? You and I are both blessed with amazing eyes that we can put jewelry on. So we can see things clearly, right? Picture these glasses as your mind. They are here to help you see in the present moment. The thing is, these glasses, the mind, is so smart, it's now trying to tell you where to go next. That's not the job of the glasses. It's only to look at or help you see and experience the present moment. And so when we drop out of that, Mm, yeah, I do, but I want to see where you take it. Yep. So when we drop out of the fact that we sort of go, yes, we have very powerful glasses and they can really help us see things for the moment. When it oversteps its boundary in trying to help you survive, worrying about the next thing, going back into the past, right? Then you can sort of find that presence because. I think everyone listening and you and me, like if we, when we're going back to our previous self that didn't have the ability to regulate during this time and we were simply living by the consequence of our surroundings or our emotion was controlled by that. If someone said, just be in the moment, we'd be like, sure, how? Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to re understand that as you're doing the healing work, that's part of that process. It's a massive part of that process because as you said, self, and then, the, and then bringing back the responsibility for your peace actually lies within. There's a quote, um, very well-known quote, stop waiting for the storm to pass, learn how to dance in the rain. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. So, so what I was gonna say was I disagree that the mind is pointing to the here and now because no, the, the mind doesn't it's, it's only supposed to help you with understanding the current experience in, it interprets it yeah yes. it interprets it but the thing for me is that the top of the funnel is very broad the top of the funnel is the mind that is literally the full expansive potentiality right hmm. the mind doesn't exist here and now which is why it's so hard for us to be present here and now because if we are being driven if our thoughts actions and behaviors are at the mercy of our mind we have no control and so i imagine um if you've ever seen children who are just completely so we're going to use chaos versus order right and sure. have you ever seen kids who just completely run amok? They're climbing over furniture, hitting, throwing things, smashing things. Like there's just mm. absolute chaos, right? I'm mm. actually thinking I've been watching the Super Nanny lately. So that's why. <laughs> I remember the original Nanny. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Uh, I, I don't know how it, I somehow got targeted on my Facebook. And so the, the snapshot videos keep coming up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot about this show. But that's what I've been seeing, right? So I've been seeing a lot of, uh, if, you, if you haven't watched The Super Nanny before, look it up and watch mm. it. Like, you'll learn so much. Anyway, but there's like these kids where there's no control over them whatsoever. They are just completely out of control, completely chaotic. And our mind is like that. And when our mind is completely out of control, there's no order. And so when we start talking about how do we bring and achieve presence, it's our physical body is always in the here and now. I can't teleport my body to five minutes ago. Mm. Physically, I can't be five minutes ago. And physically, I can't be in 10 minutes time. My mind is what goes five minutes ago and in 10 minutes time. My mind has access to run around to all the different locations and time points and time space dimensions, but my physical body can't do that. And so when there's chaos, it's because the mind is out of control, not the body. The body is very stable the body is very present i can physically be here it's just about retraining the mind to actually go we got to reparent our mind to bring order and so when we have things like meditation 
and someone goes, oh, I can't meditate because my mind's all over the place. That's the freaking point. <laughs> let it, you let it happen. It. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to. You have to let your mind be out of control to be able to redirect it. And it doesn't mm. matter if you have to redirect it 200 times in an hour. The point is every time it goes, you bring it back to the body. Every time it goes, you bring it back to the body. Every time it goes, you bring it back to the body because mindfulness is about having some order mm. over the mental activity, not completely eliminating mental activity, not doing anything else other than having awareness of and bringing order to the mental activity. Well, it's interesting you mentioned meditation because I think this one's really relevant. Yeah. Even to this day, when I okay. meditate, it's always thought, thought, yeah. thought, thought 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 and at the start it used to drive me mad because i'm like i'm really i really suck at meditating because yeah. i thought to kick ass in meditating you just need to be like there's just a bell ring hum in your head that's it nothing mm. <laughs> flat line you might as yeah. well be dead i don't even <clears throat> right? reckon my mind will be like that even when i am no, dead <laughs> I, I, I couldn't like it, it was it was doing my head in but then i realized i just kept at it <clears throat> and then i realized it'd still be thought thought don't really interesting thought out of nowhere like something that has no rhyme or reason and so for me this feels like intuition is coming in to it and so it's not a it's not a bad thing and then it, and then it could get distracted by something that happened in the past that may have been a slight injustice and i bring it back mm. and i do, and how i bring it back i start counting one two three four five until my brain goes what are we doing what we're we thinking again and then it still goes on that. And I've found that when I do meditate, there is a moment and it feels like it's either a fraction of a second, but it's really, it's really small. But on the back of a big thought will come nothing, like a vacuum in my head. And it lasts for a second, a fraction of a second. Yeah. But here's the thing, when it sort of comes to how long do you need to be in this peaceful state when you're sort of meditating, well, that can mean a lot. Even if it's only a fraction of a second, doesn't mean you have to be, you know, just empty head for, for one hour. And this could be different for other people because mm -hmm. there's different ways in brain activity that different people, you know, there's, I've heard there's different meditations that when you really need to stimulate your mind, you do something else. Like someone who's very got a very quiet mind, they need to go the opposite way. So you just yes. need to go whichever one's the opposite. But it doesn't mean like even by doing that journaling, even by doing that meditation and allowing these thoughts and you start to feel discerning as you go through it. If you start reliving something that really pissed you off, then allow it to try and flow through. But if you keep on circling over it, then you need to find a pattern or whatever it is to help you try and break it. And for me, it's counting and I usually get to about somewhere close to 10. Yeah. And, and then and then it goes. And all but of these you're things- you're taking control. So by you doing that, you're directing the attentional focus of your mind and saying, you come back. That's it. You that's, come back. That's right. You I think that's, You're just calling it back. And that's, I think, what people are sort of looking for because, you know, how else did I do this before? If I had a really crap week five years ago, guess what I'm doing on Friday? Drinking. I'll quiet my mind down. It's so helpful, isn't it? It's an escape. It's a distraction, whether it could be scrolling on your phone. It could be whinging to a friend. It could be binge-watching Netflix. It could be... It could even be obsessively exercising. They're all just distractions and giving our mind something else mm. to focus on that's not the chaos. But I mean, out of all of those, the excessive exercising is probably the best one. I mean, I certainly don't feel terrible that. if it's an escape. I, I yeah, I understand that. Um, but you, you know what I mean? It's sort of like I think that the main thing for people is sort of like how because <clears throat> I was blind to all of this. Yeah. In, in the past. And so if someone said before, come into your body, sure, how the hell do you do that? Yeah, it's how, so, yeah, it's, so important. It's like quiet your mind. Great. How the hell do you do that? 
Like if there was a volume knob, great. Um, so can so- I re- can I for all of our listeners, if your perspective is that you're meant to have a quiet mind, can we just throw that in the bin? Can we make it normal and acceptable and not only acceptable but almost desirable? If you have a busy mind and you meditate and your mind is busy, perfect, amazing. That's exactly what we want because the only thing I'm going to ask of you to do is every time you notice the busyness of your mind, shift your focus, you take control of what you pay attention to. So pick a spot on your body. It might be your the thumb on your right-hand side. Every time you're, you notice the busy mind, bring your attention back to your thumb. Ask, is my thumb warm? Is my thumb cold? Is my thumb moving? Can I feel the, the blood in my thumb? Um, can mm. I feel the pulse in my thumb? It could be anything. You don't have to use your thumb. It could be absolutely anything. It, the breath yeah. is commonly used because it gives mm. you a, a pathway to follow in your body. You have to physically mm. follow it. Um, but the reason that that's so important is because an out-of-control mind leads to a body that feels like it's out of control. It leads to a nervous system that is reacting by overwhelm to an out-of-control mind. And so the way that you are going to overcome this is to bring some control and order to your mind. And what that means is your mind doesn't have any way to know time because it doesn't have time. Time is not an element to the mind, right? So when your physical body is the guiding light that brings your mind back to now, that's the answer. And it's quite interesting because I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I'm going back to the David five years ago. He's going to say the mind will know the time because it will look at its watch. The mind is the one bringing itself back to itself because I'm thinking I need to count to 10. The, the one, two, three, four is not in my body. So a, then let me ask the question, which is the real you? Is the real you the one that is telling the mind to come back or is the real you the mind that has to come back when it's told so for me they're both in the mind and so now what we're sort of talking about is but you can only be be one which one is the real you in that moment so for me there there was in my previous understandings no separation of my thoughts I'm not talking about previous understanding. I'm talking about now. So oh, now, right now. Yes. present Dave, which if present Dave, mm-hmm. which one of those is present you? It's the healed one. Well, it's the one For, in well, the moment. The moment now. Because Ash right now is different to the Ash from when we started this show. That's past Ash. This is now Ash. Now Ash oh, okay. is always evolving, right? And so the mind is all the different versions of past us. And Mm. present us needs to take the mind and bring it back to present us. It's like a dog and its owner. Collectively, you're a team. Mm -hmm. But the dog can run around as long as the owner can call that dog back and it will obey. Mm. Well, for for, for me, it's very similar to what you're saying, except the one that gets you to the present moment is the one that's not triggered. It's the one that's not... The one that gets you back to the present moment is the present moment you. But you know what I mean? It's like, how do we get to that, the present moment, us? Because we were born present, right? Mm, the, well, yeah. I mean, like, there's, we, weren't, we weren't born perfect. The way that we get to present moment, us, even someone who is highly triggered in the peak of a panic attack can come back like that to present moment, us. And I do it mm-hmm. by saying, are all 10 toes in contact with ground at the moment? They look at me and they go, what the? And I'll go, answer the question. That gets them back. It gets them back to present moment them. So there's no barrier to any person ever Mm. being able to come back because the answer is the body. You in this moment are in your body, where your body is, how your body is feeling and what your body is experiencing in this moment is present moment you. The mind that's running around elsewhere, regardless of if you're triggered, it doesn't change the fact that if you are in your body and you observe your body, in that moment, you're actually safe. Does I had this sense? interesting. 
It does. It does. But I, I still have some more follow-up questions because I've got, I've had a great discussion with a, a mate of mine about the brain versus the mind, right? Mm-hmm. Because he sort of, you know, quite rightly says the brain tells you to move your hand, right? Yep. It's, it's, you know, your brain. But what tells, tells the you, brain to tell the hand to move? It's a, it's the stuff inside the brain. No. Because, because it, it comes from all in, in there. It's the, the, the collective experiences. And look, I, we had a, quite a, a cool debate about it. But what I'm trying to do is to, because for, for, for me, the way I kind of see it, there are two parts of my brain. There's the one that will allow the chaos to happen and to be a victim and to bring all of that sort of stuff in there because that's how I've dealt with things for a good 95% of my life. But there's the other side, which is the one that sort of has understanding, compassion, vulnerability, that sort of goes, these things are happening for me, that then can sit in a present moment and doesn't need anything around him to be okay to still be able to feel centered, grounded, and all of that. And the two of them kind of work a bit like, you know, light and dark and yin and yang sort of balancing. But what happens now is more of the present Dave takes care of it. The other one still pops out when things are getting, you know, over the top. And so it was just really interesting for someone who's just sitting there in overwhelm going, I've come across this because, geez, you know, I'm not okay, but I want to be okay. How do I try and understand and unpack this? You're saying the mind, the mind is the brain. The brain, you tell me there's two parts to my mind. I'm not saying, I never said that the mind and the brain are the same thing. And I really need to come back to that because it's not accurate. Great. So what I'm trying to say is there, there are some really basic understanding of, you know, whether it's right or wrong, but a common understanding is your brain controls the whole body and the mind lives within the brain. Right. I mean, that's yeah. just so a, can I, so can I, yes, go can for I it. share my perspective? I'm a neurophysiologist. I did my entire PhD on the nervous system and I've zapped many brains. I can categorically tell you that, yes, the brain drives the output. So think about the flow of neurological information in the body, right? Mm-hmm. For me to move my hand off a hot stove information has to come from my brain down the spinal cord out the spinal cord to the peripheral nerves to contract the muscles mm-hmm. but the information that tells my brain that there's a threat and i need to take my hand off hasn't come from the brain that information has come from the sensory receptors so the information's got to come from my hand first up the spinal cord to the brain well, actually, that doesn't reach the brain, but let's pretend it does. Let's say yeah. some other kind of information. It reaches let's the brain, it gets interpreted, yeah. and then so yeah. it's like this. It's a loop. It's a neurological yeah. loop. The mind has nothing to do with any of that. The mind does not live in the brain. The mind and the brain are so separate, it's not even funny. The, I would say the mind is more closely related to our peripheral nervous system if anything, or our autonomic nervous system. What's a peripheral versus... So the brain is just in the head. The brain is literally the midpoint between the information coming in and the information going out. That's it. Yeah, okay. So when it comes to the mind, it's actually... we. It's our sensory systems. Our sensory systems are the systems that perceive information. That mm-hmm. information has to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. At an information level, the brain isn't getting anything more than, imagine like in binary systems, um, the brain's effectively not getting much more than ones and zeros. The ones and zeros might as well be nothing. It's just data. Mm -hmm. The brain is not responsible for anything other than responding to the inputs that it receives. The mind is the interpreter. So the mind is interpreting um, through story, through past experience, through memories, through the way that we perceive things. Even sensation and perception are not the same thing. And this is like, we could do a whole episode Mm, just mm, on that. mm. 
But our mind is what drives the brain. And I think this is so vitally important to understand because even um, the reason I went down the pathway I did is because during my PhD, I was learning, I did my whole PhD on neuroplasticity and neuromodulation. So there are a billion different ways that we can modulate the brain, which just means like repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. What that is, is you use electric electricity passed through a magnet that activates neurons in the brain in a certain way, which changes the behavior of the brain and changes its output. Mm. Great. That's been used for depression. It's been used for Parkinson's disease. It's been used for a whole heap of different things. Fantastic. Except the results don't last. Why don't the results last? Well, because the same processes of neuroplasticity that caused the positive effects of the intervention mm. are at play except it's not the intervention changing the brain, it's the mind. It's the stories that are still there. It's the interpretations that are still there. It's the absolute chaos of where it's focusing its attention. And so by training the mind, what we're, it's all about attention. By training the mind, we're saying, focus attention on this, because when I focus my attention on a water bottle and picking that up, the areas of my brain are completely different in terms of driving the output. Whereas if I sat here and focused my attention on an itch on my left leg, I would have to activate completely different parts of the brain. If I sat here and focused my attention on a time when my best friend hurt my feelings, my brain is going to respond to that focused attention in a completely different way. It's going to activate emotional centers of the brain. And but so, the actual start of it doesn't start, you're saying, within the brain. It starts within the mind. The brain is, is, is the end point for the mind. So the, As opposed to the start point. As opposed to the start point. So we mm. can't change the mind by changing the brain. It doesn't work. And this is where all mental health um, training and pharmacologically based training, trust me, as a neuroscientist, that broke my freaking heart. I wanted the answer to be the brain because my whole life was dedicated to if you change the brain, you fix the problem. She's done. Yeah, beautiful. But you can change the brain and you might see some changes in the problem, except it changes back. Or you change because, the brain hmm. and you don't see changes in the problem and you go, what? That doesn't make sense. Why? Gotcha. So, so really, it's uh, that concept, and this this took me a little while to sink in because from school, it's sort of like the brain is your mind. It's like yes, people exactly. people use it in in like they will interlink interchangeably. The, the, yes, that's what. That's why I said it's so important, so important that we articulate so, this. So when we talk about how we respond to chaos, we are using or we are being in either a small way or a large way, unhealed traumas are being triggered, which are stored in the body. And yes. also the mind, which is separate to the brain, is also busy as well. So you've got these yes. two separate things and all of that is converging. Would you say, and I'm, I'm putting it out there, I'm not saying with a complete confidence, would you say those two things are converging onto the brain or onto a point which is making it so overwhelming kind of yes so let me put it to you like this if i had a story stored in my mind that this water bottle was dangerous mm -hmm. and i have a story based on perception maybe based on past experience someone beat me up with this water bottle and when I saw the water bottle, I have a physical reaction in my body. I have the tightening of the chest. I have all these physical reactions. The physical reactions have been driven by the physiological processes within my nervous system. Which is But the physiological processes within my nervous system were activated by the story about yeah. the water bottle in my mind. And, and so... Is a story to, in your mind or in the body? Both. Because oh. there's, um, so now we're getting into anchors and we're getting into some deeper physiological things. But the story and the body sensation are intricately linked and they have to be. Mm -hmm. Because 
without the story and the body sensation and right down to the biochemical um so that as in the chemicals released in the brain and the chemicals released from an endocrine perspective will match the story so if when that that issue with the water bottle happens someone beat me up with it let's say mm. my body is going to release a certain cocktail of neuropeptides and that cocktail of neuropeptides will be anchored to the memory of this bottle does that allow so us when, to react faster than having to go from exactly. input, exactly calculate, yep. react? Exactly. Okay. It's purely a survival mechanism. And so yeah. it means we don't have to wait for the brain to interpret the data in order to activate a response. We get an almost immediate response through the, the release of the same neuropeptides or neurochemicals in response to the stimulus mm -hmm. and our body reaction gives us the the answer i know this is so complex and it's so tricky but... i love it i love it because it's it was it's giving us this sort of foundation right to sort of go if someone comes in and they look at this and they're just sort of going you know what i can never get a break just it's, it's always one thing after another after another after another once i just get a break or have a holiday everything will be fine yeah right and i guess what we're sort of saying is don't wait for that break because that breaks probably never coming. And yeah. if it is, it's probably not going to be as good. Like I remember you, a certain person, you went to Queensland for a holiday and you came back more stressed <laughs> than, than when you actually left. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and so I think it's really important if you are someone who's sort of going, I, I'm coming to this with more questions and I have answers that we kind of break down to okay if I can just be aware of what's going on and then we try and separate the mind from the brain and yeah. then we look at the the physical reaction within the body which then plays on to our brain or our mind going is there something wrong with me and it just keeps yeah. on going on top of it because yeah. then that that leads into I need to suppress this to move forward I need because, to it because it's threatening it's it's a threat to my survival. So what we're sort of saying is when these things happen, there needs to be a way in which you can start to process these things out, which is sort of like if you had a flow chart, you process these things out so you don't get triggered. So these, this internal or external stimuli doesn't trigger you like it did before. Absolutely. What we're, what we're trying to do is just to sort of give people in a very short one hour episode. <laughs> So, in, so my, my program for individuals, Rise and Thrive, we're spending, in our current round, it's like 30 hours, and that's still only the tip of the iceberg, 30 mm. hours where we go through understanding you in your body, what are the reactions that you're having, what are the stories that are stored in your mind that you're not even aware are there that are driving your brain to react to things in a certain way to cause the reactions and responses in your body that you feel out of control, that you feel mm. you have no power over. And so don't for one second feel like in one, what, 45-minute episode or 50, how long this goes for, mm. that you're going to be able to have all the answers and understand this completely. I totally acknowledge that that's too much to ask, mm. but it's a starting point. And so the purpose of that, of Rise and Thrive, is to be able to hold someone's hand through their own journey of and I go through all the mind versus brain stuff. I go through how do we have better awareness of what's in our mind and what's in our body? Because ultimately, our goal is to is to observe the body and the responses of the body and the behaviors of the body, observe the mind and the stories in the mind and the thoughts that occur in the mind and the interpretations of things in the mind our mind will even try and interpret the stories in our body. So and, if I and, have and a... I've, I've got to jump in here because this is one thing you taught me that blew my mind. Yeah. That we need to take a moment for that one because it's very powerful for me. Your mind tries to interpret, and the key word here is interpret. It doesn't actually translate. It is not an exact science that it tries to figure out what's going on in your body. Yeah. And it might sometimes get it right and it might actually get it wrong. Yeah, 
I would say the majority of the time it gets it wrong because it's based off old data that's not relevant to us now. You've got to understand that our mind was formed from early life experiences. So our mind and the interpretation that we have, you know, if someone hurts our feelings, our body recognises that doesn't feel nice. Our body's de desire and drive is to move away from things that don't feel good and towards things that do. And so our mind is going to, um, an emergent property of that experience is our mind's going to go, that was bad, don't do that. I don't like that. So then in the future, even though the circumstance or situation isn't bad, we need discomfort. Like look at our last episode, we talked about comfort zones. We mm. need discomfort in order to grow. But if our mind is interpreting any discomfort as a threat, then it's kind of holding us back. Mm. So... Gosh, Dave, we've gone so deep. I feel like we've had three episodes in one here. But I know, I know. The, it's, the, it's, it's, the it's been massive. The ultimate, um, the ultimate conclusion for me is that you are not your mind. Your mind is going to run around like an untrained dog if we allow it. You are the trainer. Like you are the owner and the trainer and the master of that dog. And I think this is where you're coming back to self. Yes. Right, yourself is not necessarily your mind. The no. self, it, so that, that you is yourself, yep. Yes, 100%. And so your mind is going to run free and roam free and be out of control and drive your experiences of chaos while ever you believe that you are the mind. Whereas the more that you can train your mind to come back under your command, if you like, come back to center, come back to here and now, come back to this moment, mm. the threat is not in this moment. The threat doesn't exist in this moment. And so your mind will then drive your nervous system back to safety, which will bring you the lower shoulders, the reduced respiratory yeah. rate. And if you want to practice this, have a cold shower. Have a cold shower and recognize how your body perceives that stimulus as a threat and the activity that happens in your mind to try and withdraw you from that stimulus. It's huge. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, it's perfect what you're saying there. When it comes to chaos, it's not going anywhere. It's here to stay, whether we yeah. like it or not. Um, it's about trying to find yourself, as in yourself, what yourself is versus your mind and because yourself will have on top of it traumas you know learnings stories programming all of that which you have to unwind yeah and some techniques you can try is really sort of working on your nervous system through journaling meditating um, trying to find a safe space, you know, wh wh whatever that is for, for you, whether it be a group or a place or something like that, to be able to express that and keep at it because it's, there's no normal way to, to fix it. Everything, while there are certain techniques that work for a majority of people, you've got to find your own. Yeah, 100%. Um, and don't do hesitate, um, don't hesitate to actually lean in. Like there are, my program is obviously amazing because I wrote it, <laughs> but it's based off absolutely. nervous system. It's based off the nervous system. It's based off mind body work. It's based off mm. somatic work. It's based off all of this stuff all brought together to give you a starting point. Do you get to the end and all your problems are solved and your life is perfect forever? Absolutely not. Hmm. But you get to the end with the skill set and the resources and feeling equipped to be able to actually navigate because now you have a frame of reference. Now you know when your mind goes crazy and your mind is running away and you feel overwhelmed, you know what's going on. You know how to bring it back. <clears throat> and that's a complete game changer. It's mad. This has been a, this has been a big one because I really do feel that when people sort of, we sort of unpack that it's okay to feel this way, it's okay to feel the chaos. You need that, to, yeah. And that the, the chaos can exist outside without it existing inside. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because up until I started doing all of this, I thought I was at the mercy of my surroundings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing for me that had to click to sort of go, that stuff's not going to change. I heard the sayings. I knew what they said. I liked the concept, but I never believed it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I love it. I love it. Uh, change your perception, change your mind, change your nervous system, change your life. Oh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ba boom. Hey, well played. Right. <laughs> That's been awesome. Episode, guys. Love Great it. Great to have you with us. Check out our previous episodes if you haven't already and um, click subscribe, follow us. There's a lot more where that came from. <laughs> yeah, and hit us with some comments, hit us with some questions. Um, let us Especially know. Yeah. Big one. Do you want us to talk more about the mind versus the brain versus the self, right? Yeah. Or have you got it covered? Let us know. Until next week, see you later. Bye-bye. See you guys.